Look how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Psalm 133 Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbaum Podcast is a compilation of devotional resources, music, and other items from those who support the teaching of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the Wells. I'm Tom Barthel, glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 133. We're starting a new series on Canaanbaum Podcast, and we'll be sharing segments from beard133.com. It's a blog which I write on advocating active Christian fatherhood. You can find these at beard133.com. Why not ask Adam? Adam, the first man, lived 930 years. What sort of wisdom did he pick up over all that time? I wonder what kind of beard he was able to grow. We think that we are wise when we have obtained a few years of experience. His was the experience of a millennium, all rolled into one perfectly created mind. He knew holiness. He knew the agonizing trap of the devil's deceit. Talk about learning your lesson the hard way. How many children grew up under his observation and supervision? Or lack of supervision? We only have three named offspring from Adam, but he surely had other sons and daughters. His wife was mother of all the living. We think we know so much. I've got this, says a young man who's ready to take charge of his life, by taking charge of the newborn life under his care. He soon realizes he doesn't. None of us ever do. No experience can be enough. What about Adam? Why not ask Adam about parenting? Imagine if you're able to come to him for advice. He's seen it all. But that's just it. He saw it all, including the blood pouring down Abel's beaten face. Fratricide the murder of a sibling, comes between the first brothers, which we read about in scripture. Adam and his wife experienced the sting of death first with this horrible realization. Our son has killed our son. Adam could tell you a lot, but don't ask him about parenting. Don't ask me either. I have experiences. Perhaps you do too. But we all have something from Adam as well. So do our sons and daughters. It's an inborn, natural propensity to take every step that leads to death. It comes from a heart after Adam. The heart is deceitful above all things. You can find all sorts of advice from the old heart of Adam. It streams on your Netflix. It comes from the father who passed down his own habits, good and bad. It's true, we can find some measure of temporary good in many parenting resources. Yet it doesn't matter how awesome and fatherly we might look. So don't ask Adam or any son of Adam for advice on parenting. But there is one father who always had it right. His son was so perfect he said, Yes, father, even when it meant dying for his brothers. When it comes to knowing wisdom, and seeking to raise children, ask him. Point your sons and daughters to Jesus, their brother. 
Let them see the blood pouring down his beaten face, the blood that ran down it brings us to unity and to peace with our brothers. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, 1 Corinthians 15. And he now lives in heaven to give forgiveness and pardon to all God's children, to all who trust in him as Savior. This is a blog about parenting as we parent as forgiven brothers of Christ and about finding wisdom for parents from our Father in heaven. I invite you to open the pages of the Father's book with me. We'll grow together as we follow our brother and Lord. And we'll grow only as we further know Christ Jesus and his holy word. Ask him, not Adam, not the world, not me, not your own wisdom. Watch your newborn grow as you say, My God, he's got this. Let the Lord, our God, take charge of the life under your care. Next, we have a song by Tracy Fedke. There is a fountain filled with blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. Emmanuel was slain. And sinners who are washed therein lose every guilty stain. Rejoice to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Washed all my sins away. Sweeter song I'll sing 
continuing to finish his series on the book of Job, we turn to God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 41, verses 5 to 11, verse 5. God is speaking about Leviathan. Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? When we heard about Job's sheepdogs back in chapter 30, I said that it was one of the rare places where we find anything close to a domestic dog. Well, here we also have a description of the way a bird or other animal might be kept as a pet in a cage or on a leash. The verb to make a pet in verse 5 is actually a form of the verb, of the verb for laugh from which we get Isaac's name. A pet brings joy and laughter to a household as well as companionship. Job, do you think you can make the devil into your puppy? Verse 6. Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? In in these questions, God imagines Leviathan up for sale like a fish at the market. The traders have mules, camels, or are on foot. Will anyone buy a creature that's 20, 30, 50 feet long? The fish that breaks the camel's back won't fetch any price at all at the bazaar. Verse 7. Can you fill its hide with harpoons? or its head with fishing spears? Well, the harpoons um, are really sukkot in Hebrew. They're spears or darts or barbs of any kind. And the NIV's harpoons, I suppose, is appropriate given the size of the creature in question. Likewise, a tzaltzal is a thrown flying spear. I I think that might come from the sound of the thing in flight. In this pair of questions, God imagines the process of catching Leviathan Would you harpoon him over and over in the body or in the head? Leviathan is more than a fish or a representation of danger. He's the embodiment of evil. How will you put an end to evil? Will you walk home with it on your stringer like a little boy with a cane pole in one hand and five or six bluegills on the other? Verse 8. If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Hmm. When I was about two years old, my brother and I were playing a stupid game one night while our mom was standing by the car talking to somebody. I would stick my hand in the car door and pull it out while my big brother, Dan, who was maybe about seven at the time, pretended to slam the door shut. And we kept playing the game, hand in, hand out, door shut, door open. Of course, one of those times, my hand got caught. That's a struggle I have never forgotten. Whether you think of Leviathan as a crocodile or the Loch Ness Monster or evil itself, imagine being barehanded next to his teeth. God says to Job, go ahead, stick your hand in Leviathan's mouth. I think you'll remember the experience. Do you really want to fool around with the devil? Any hope, uh, verses 9 and 10, any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Ah. The, the word achzar in Hebrew, in the NIV, is translated fierce, also means cruel, as in a deadly, cruel poison in Deuteronomy 32.30, or a cruel man. Only a completely fearless or foolish man would approach Leviathan. But would it matter in the end? Would anybody come back alive? Will we be brave enough against the author of sin? Will the devil show us any mercy? Not ever. But God has shown us mercy. The devil would do anything, tell any lie, question any truth, impersonate anyone, or distort anything to drag us away from heaven. As for God, 
He became a human being and gave up his own life to rescue us from the devil's prison of sin. The struggle between Satan and our Savior Jesus just can't be drawn more clearly than this. Who loves us and who despises us? There's no choice at all. In fact, it's by grace that God chose you. We don't choose to follow God. He chose us to be rescued. Verse 11. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Well, who has a claim against God? This is the central question of God's speech. Paul put it this way. Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to, who, to, to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? That's in Romans 9, Romans 9.20. One of the greatest kings of ancient times found this truth out by being personally humbled by God. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's from Daniel 4. So what do we do? We praise God. We praise him because he's our maker. We praise him because he is our savior. We praise him because of his infinite mercy and because he loves us. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. This next devotion on 1 Peter is shared by Pastor Mark Falk and read by Philip Wells. 1 Peter 2, verse 18-21, Unjust Suffering. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Whether the word of this section is slaves or household servants, this just sounds wrong in 21st century ears. Without a doubt, we are a more just society because of the civil rights movement. But we haven't conquered sin. Not in the inner city, not in the suburbs. Would a movement have happened if Peter ruled? And the Holy Spirit stands behind Peter. In the first centuries of the faith, Christians lost their property. They were thrown into jail. They were even used as the opening act in the Colosseum. It was a bit boring to see lions tear believers limb from limb. There was no contest. Some early Christians were slaves. Even though they were free in Christ, free from all threats of the law, they were not free to sin. They were still under authority, and the authorities were sometimes harsh. One commentator has written that where the gospel asserted itself, slavery just began to melt away. The gospel makes all believers brothers and sisters. In other places, Christian masters are encouraged to treat their slaves like fellow believers. Still, there were those harsh masters. You can't escape what these verses say, but this is not the first century. There are no household slaves among us. What does Peter say to me, to you? These words tell us that when we are treated unfairly, and that still happens, we are to suffer patiently, to grin and bear it. That is not conventional wisdom, not even in the modern church. This is a tough gig. How shall we live this way? Is God being reasonable when he tells us such things? 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. There it is, the cross. The cross is the center of a truly Christian life. The cross of Christ is an awful sight, covered with the blood of an innocent man. And this man is God in the flesh. The cross was an offense to Roman and Jews alike in the first century. This is still an offense. It offends me when I portray my cross as being a doormat to those who abuse and misuse me. And that happens often enough to those who preach the cross. But the cross is the thing. We are redeemed by the blood that covers it. We are saved by the faith God has worked in us, faith in the cross. We are also connected to the cross. No cross, no crown, someone has said. If we find that bearing our cross, that submitting to unfair treatment is too heavy for our weak backs, let us find strength in the one who bore our sins away forever at the cross. Our failures have been forgiven. Here we find strength to obey and to bear a cross. Our closing song is by Cross to Glory, My Grace Will Do, from their album Life Song. Kids are ready fighting, the dog is always biting, and I think I'm better off dead. A whole lot of this, not enough of that, always happening in my day. I need a miracle, the supernatural, just to get me on my way. What the Lord said, my grace will do. I'll see you through. Nothing in this world is great. Than my word and the good news it proclaims. My grace will do. Ooh. Heading down the road, got such a heavy load with the future on my mind. I wanna get ahead, keep dipping in the red, lasting peace I just can't find. A whole lot of this, not enough of that, always happening in my life. I need a miracle, the supernatural, just to keep me from my stride. But the Lord said, my grace will do. I'll see it through. Nothing in this world is greater than my word and the good news it proclaims. My grace will do. a witness to your name You call salt and life I can feel like such a blight with rejection and the shame A whole lot of this, not enough of that I was happening in this call I need a miracle the supernatural just to keep me above it all But the Lord said my grace will do I'll see 
world is greater than my word and the good news it proclaims. My grace will do. And the Lord said, my grace will do. I'll see you through. Nothing in this world is greater than my word and the good news it proclaims. My grace will do You have been listening to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode number 133. This episode was first shared in September of 2018. We'd like to thank Tracy Fedke for sharing her music with us. You can find more of her music at SoundCloud and search for Tracy Fedke and also Cross to Glory. You'll find links to this and other artists on the notes for this episode at canaanboundpodcast.com. We encourage you to find a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us, and remember his promised rest. <laughs>